This is Behind the Brush by St. Jack. Just believe in yourself. Like, little old me that was in year nine that got pushed back by my teacher, like, I did not let that stop me. You know, if I had let it stop me, I wouldn't be doing makeup today. I knew that I wanted to be a makeup artist, and if you put the passion and the drive, your skills will improve over time. Hello and welcome back to Behind the Brush. It's me, it's Beth, your host, makeup artist and founder of St. Jack Cosmetics. How are ya? I'm doing pretty good. Here in Melbourne, we have just had a succession of some beautiful sunny days. And even though it is absolutely raining cats and dogs out there now, it was very nice to have the chance to catch some rays. I went outside and I played fetch with Winnie and she was so happy. And now I'm just hanging on to this excitement that winter has to be ending soon and we're going to get summer warmth again. I also just celebrated my 30th birthday. You might have seen it on TikTok. I had this huge Mamma Mia the movie themed party. So, 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 so camp. (laughs) I had the Abba cover band. All of my friends and my family got so dressed up and they just really showed up for me. This is your sign to have a party and just live your life. I had the best night ever. And then afterwards, when I was feeling like absolute death the next day, I had so many beautiful messages from you guys in my DMs just saying happy birthday and, you know, all your great wishes for the future and all that sort of thing. And I have just never felt as loved as I do right now. And that is a beautiful thing. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I also just want to say thank you for the incredibly warm reception to the last episode of the podcast. In case you missed it, I uploaded my first episode back in about two months. Ha ha, hey, accidental hiatus, how you doing? And it was all about my experience being approached by a fairly large beauty brand and they asked me to make content for them and I told you why I said no, Uh, hint, their proposal sucked, but then I shared my tips on how to make sure that you are going to get paid properly for the content creation work that you do. Now, I don't think I have ever got as many DMs as I did in the days after that one went live about a podcast episode. And so many of you guys were telling me that it was your favorite episode ever because there was so much in there that you could relate to, but you never actually thought about it on a deeper level. Like a lot of you guys were telling me that you've had brands approach you and you probably said yes to things where you wish you hadn't, but now you are equipped with the tools that you can make these decisions from a more informed and confident place. So I've got to tell you, messages like that is why I am here. It is why I'm doing this and it keeps me going. So please, if you love an episode, number one, let me know. Number two, please leave me a review on Apple and Spotify. (laughs) I haven't asked you to do that in a while, but it makes such a big difference and it really helps, you know, more people find the show. And number three, if there is a topic that you would like me to explore on the show in an episode like that, where I'm kind of just doing it Han Solo, let me know. I make every single episode with you in mind, hoping that you're going to get something out of it, hoping that you're going to learn something, hoping that you're going to be inspired, or maybe I'll just make you laugh. So please just tell me your ideas. I want to hear your ideas. I'm sure they're amazing. But for today's episode, we are back to the prime of the podcast, and I have got another juicy interview lined up with you featuring none other than Danny Cousins. Now, in case you don't know, Danny is one of Melbourne's most sought-after bridal and special event makeup artists, and she is known for her signature soft glam looks. She is a New Zealand native, but she decided to settle into Melbourne after living in London for two years, where she first got her start in makeup working for MAC. Having done everything from fashion to formal, she is a wealth of knowledge and she often shares her tips and tricks with fellow artists at her masterclasses, both in person and online. With input from the Behind the Brush community for some of the questions in this episode, prepare to learn all you need to know about being a bridal artist just in time for the upcoming season. I can say with confidence that if I were to ever get married, if some poor bloke were to ever ask me to marry him, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Knowing that I wouldn't want to do my own face because I think I would be quite an anxious bride, Danny is one of the very few people I know that I could blindly trust to just make me look and feel my best. But that is absolutely enough for me. I think I took that one way too far. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Danny Cousins. 
Danny Cousins, welcome to Behind the Brush. Hello. Hello. I just want to let everyone know from the outset that Danny is joining us from home. You're currently on maternity leave. You have the beautiful Parker, who is how old? He's just turned three months old. He's such a baby. So <laughs> we're kind of, we tried to plan the podcast around Parker's sleep schedule. We're doing our best, but maybe we'll see if there's any like cute little meeps. We'll we'll see how we go. But I just wanted to let everyone know, but thank you so much for doing this, especially while you're so busy with him. Oh, that's okay. I'm so excited. I know. It's such a vibe. I've had so many people ask me to get you on the pod and then so many people were excited. I put up a story on St. Jack being like, if there's anything you want to know from a bridal artist and people are like, that's daddy's hand. I'm like, that's (laughs) a little bit creepy. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You're like, oh, wow. They're really into that. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's okay. Love that. That's Love that for you. Maybe this is an OnlyFans opportunity for your hands. But anyway, take yeah. it too far. Danny, I start every episode by asking each of my guests, what did you want to be when you grew up? Look, I was thinking about this yesterday when you sent through your questions. And I really can't remember, like, you know, going back through primary school or high school, what I really wanted to do. I always had an interest in PE. So I remember, you know, thinking I maybe wanted to be a PE teacher. And then I definitely always wanted to be a makeup artist. Like I think looking back at my time in high school, like in year nine, I remember talking as a class, we had to talk about what we wanted to do when we were older. And I vividly remember saying that I wanted to be a makeup artist and my form teacher kind of laughed in my face and then that really put me off. And look at me now. (laughs) I know. I know. We're like, fuck that teacher. (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, makeup has definitely been in the forefront of my mind since I was a young girl. But I think just having that knockback in high school, it definitely made me think of other options. And yeah, I was always interested in PE. So I'd say that probably was, you know, aside from makeup would have been my other avenue. Yeah, for sure. So how did you get started then? Because let's take a step back. I'll take a step back because I'm leading it here. (laughs) You moved to London in 2015. So how old were you then? I would have been 22. And so when you moved to London at 22, you got a job at Mac. Is that right? Yes, but not initially. That was my goal. Like when I left New Zealand, that was my goal to work for Mac. And I think I'd been living over in London for about six months before I stepped foot into a Mac store with my portfolio. I went in with my images of makeup that I'd done back home, dressed in all black, like I wanted to look like I was a Mac girl. And yeah, it had probably been about six months since I'd been in London. I walked in and handed over my CV and got asked to come back for an interview, but it didn't happen, you know, straight away. So the interview process was really long. I... I think I had a sit-down interview and then a application interview, and I actually didn't get the job first time. I got knocked back the first time, and then I went back, I think, three months later, taking on board what they'd sort of said to me in that first interview, and, yeah, went back through the interview process, and then I got the job from there, so... What did they say to you when they knocked you back? It wasn't anything, like, that I had specifically done. It was... I guess my confidence as an artist wasn't, you know, what it is now. The artistry component was fine. It was more just how I spoke about throughout the interview process. So when I was doing the application, they really wanted me to speak about every aspect of what I was doing. And I don't think I was being specific enough about every single step that I was doing. And I think that just came from like a confidence thing. I wasn't used to talking about every exact step. So that was their main feedback that they gave me. I'm I'm just curious to know, like in that kind of three months between you apply for the dream job, you get knocked back, you go for it again three months later and you get it. If there was anything that you knew that you could kind of work on in that time that really pushed you forward that other people might learn from there. I think just I, I knew that I really wanted to get that job. So if that was the feedback that they gave me, I just knew going into that next interview that, okay, I need to speak about exactly every single step that I'm doing why I'm doing it even if it sounded silly to me like that was what the feedback was given in the interview so I'm just going to speak about you know why I'm blending this product and why I've chosen these products for this for the particular model and yeah I guess 
my confidence, I guess, shone through in that second interview. And, yeah, that's that wasn't, like, the only reason I was offered the job. I think I went through five interviews with that, that second time round. And that was – in London, it's a really different process to Melbourne. Like, you have an interview with the store manager. You have an application interview. I think I even had, like, a group application interview as well. And then they – put you in for an interview with the overall store. So I was working at Harvey Nichols. So the actual Harvey Nichols manager also interviewed me there. So you're kind of talking to, yeah, four or five different people throughout that interview process. So when you were ready to leave London, so how long were you there for? I was there just shy of two years. Right. And then rather than going back home to New Zealand, you came here to Melbourne. So what was yes. what was that about? I guess being in, so I was with my partner who I'm still with. We just could not see ourselves moving back to New Zealand after living that London lifestyle. Like it's very fast paced and there's a lot of opportunity there work-wise. We were on a visa, so we actually couldn't extend our stay any longer than what, you know, our visa allowed us to. So we had to either move home or move somewhere else that were were really our only options. So being in our early 20s, we we kind of thought to ourselves, well, we don't want to move back home. There's not going to be as much opportunity there, especially for me work-wise. And a lot of people that we'd met in London were from Melbourne and they just raved about it. So we thought, let's just do it. Why not? Why not? Oh my God. I admire that courage. I get homesick if I go to like the Gold Coast for three days. So I just can't can't deal. I think because we'd done the big move already, like moving to London was such a massive thing for us. So moving to Australia from New Zealand, I mean, that's only three and a half hours away. So being a bit closer to family, the time zones are a lot easier to speak to family as well. You know, you're at least only a couple of hours behind compared to when we were living in London, it was like 12 hours behind. So, you know, in the evenings, it would be like their morning and it was a lot harder to to catch up with people. So Australia was an easy move for us. So when you came back into Melbourne, you were immediately just going to go into Mac. Was that kind of pre-set up? It's kind of cool when you think about it, the makeup's so transferable that you can do it anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I actually got in contact with someone who worked in one of the Mac stores in Melbourne. The store that I ended up working at in London after Harvey Nichols was Selfridges, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's a huge department store. There was about 80 staff members that worked at Mac alone. Wow. When I was working there. So it was huge. So there were a couple of Aussie girls that worked there. And one of them put me in contact with someone that worked at Melbourne Central in Melbourne. So I got her contact details and sent her an email and just told her my story and that I was coming over to Melbourne to live and that I'd love to transfer across from London to Melbourne and if there were any job opportunities and we had a Zoom interview I think only a couple of weeks later and I was pretty much offered the job on the spot so I knew that I had a job to come to that made it a lot easier to move as well. Yeah, for sure. And what were the biggest differences, I suppose, working, going from like a huge store like Selfridges with 80 people to Melbourne Central Store? If you live in Melbourne, you've probably been there, but if not, it is so incredibly small. It's like a shoebox store. It's tiny, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess going from like such a huge team to a really small team, I think when I started there, there were maybe like six staff members. I found it really different in the way that they ran the store too. So in Selfridges, you kind of were put on like a an area. So you were either like behind the counter or you were on foundations or eyeshadows or you were color matching. You were kind of, yeah, the side of your shift, you were put to a certain area. Whereas in Melbourne Central, it was kind of like you're running over the whole store. So you might get someone that's coming for a foundation match and then you might be seeing someone for a lipstick or you might be doing a makeup application It was run really, really differently to how I experienced my time in London. But I guess the biggest difference was actually the makeup style. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a bit more about that. So if you've seen like Love Island or like any of the UK (laughs) TV shows, you'd probably notice the makeup is quite different to what we 
typically wear in Australia and even New Zealand would be much the same. So in London, I was really, I got really good at doing a a big black liner, like a winged liner, you know, full on contouring, full, full coverage, you know, the more foundation on the better. Like people would often say to me, can you put more foundation on? And that was already like a full coverage look, you know, overdrawn lips. Yeah. The full, I don't know what, what kind of moment you'd call that. It was a full glam. It's a full glam. It was also kind of at the time of like the beauty guru, like yes. ABH was everything. YouTubers were everything. Like it was at yeah. that peak. But I can absolutely picture the style of makeup you're talking about with like, I just think of Geordie Shaw. Like I don't watch Love Island, but I watched a lot of Geordie Shaw. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that was what I was trying to reference. Like that kind of makeup was what was being requested in London when I was working there. Yeah. So then to come to Melbourne and see the the difference in the makeup style, which is obviously, as you can see in my own work now, my makeup style is very soft and that was what I was getting asked to do in, in Melbourne, which is what I guess that's kind of helped me to develop my style that I do now today. Yeah, was it kind of funny coming back and then having people be like, oh, no, like something a little softer or whatever? Did you ever kind of have to exercise restraint because you were so used to, like, <laughs> doing the full coverage? Like, Yeah, I did a little bit, to be honest. But I never really pictured myself as, like, a full glam makeup artist. Even thinking back to makeup that I do on myself, I never went, you know, full, full Geordie Shore moment on myself. I never really had that moment. Mm. I definitely went heavier than what I would do today, but I'd always kind of pictured myself as, as doing stuff a little bit more soft and natural. So moving to Melbourne and seeing that that was kind of the makeup style that was being requested, I was like, oh, my God, this is so my element now. You're like, oh, my God, thank God. <laughs> yes, 100%. Thank, thank God I can do this. I can do this. This is me. So how long were you working for at Mac before you decided to go freelance? I think I started freelancing about 18 months, two years after working, started working at the Mac store in Melbourne Central, but it was a slow process. Like I didn't go straight from working at Mac to full-time freelance. It was something that I kind of built up over time. So I dropped down my hours at Mac. Uh, I was, I think I was working about 30 hours initially, and then I dropped down to casual. So I was doing like 15 or 10 hours a week and then the more freelance I picked up then the less hours I would do at max so it was like a gradual process and then I think I started freelancing properly in late 2018 maybe mid 2018 I think it was so wild because it's like not even that long ago but I can't picture a landscape of Melbourne makeup without your work so it's so bizarre to me (laughs) (laughs) I guess how yeah so if it was like a bit of a gradual process how important was it for you like in your kind of mindset to have the job as well as doing freelancing for your like stability is that why you were keeping it on because you were like oh I don't know yeah, I guess I was just nervous. I I wasn't ready to take that full dive into full-time freelance. I don't think I was I didn't think I was as busy enough to kind of financially be able to step right into full-time freelance and just not know. I guess you know with the industry as well, like it's it can be so up and down. So I just didn't have enough confidence in myself to go, "Yep, I'm ready to go full-time freelance and just see where it goes." I wanted to kind of do it in a gradual process so that I still had the financial stability from my back job with a little bit of income coming in from there. And then my freelance work was sort of evolving and yeah, growing gradually, I guess. So what did it look like when you did say no, or when you left Mac, not say no to Mac, but when you did say, all right, that's enough. I can do this on my own. What was happening at that point that you were like, nah, I feel safe to do this. This is going to be good. Well, Funny story, it actually wasn't my decision to leave. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's okay. Is it awkward? No, it's not awkward at okay, all. Good. So with the casual contract that I was on working at Mac, I needed to pick up at least one shift every three months. And this was around like, I think, November of 2018. 
and I just signed a contract for my studio that, that was in Windsor and freelance was really picking up. So Mac was sort of not really in the forefront of my mind anymore and I just wasn't picking up shifts like the shifts that they would offer me. I was already booked for for freelance. So I was having to turn down a lot of the work that they wanted me to do. And then, yeah, in my contract, I was meant to pick up at least one shift every three months and I just wasn't able to fulfill that. So I was technically let go. So it wasn't entirely on my own terms, but I think it was sort of the universe pushing me and going, okay, well, you haven't needed Mac for three months anyway. And obviously my freelance was really taking off at that point. So I think it was the push that I needed to kind of yeah, grow and go out on my own anyway. Yeah. It sounds like it was more of a lapse than a let go. So that's okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'd be very silly to let you go. No. I technically get fired. <laughs> but yeah, I just wasn't fulfilling my contract anymore. And yeah, I guess everything happens for a reason. So totally, it was time for me to go on and do my own thing. So looking back, like how do you reckon you got most of those clients from freelancing? Was it a word of mouth thing? Were you really pushing it on Instagram? Did you do anything sponsored? Like what was going on there to help you grow so quickly? It was all in my Instagram, to be honest. And then I guess as a makeup artist as well, you kind of have a bit of a domino effect. So the more people that you do, the more word of mouth gets out as well. So I was finding a lot of my clients were either repeat clients or they were clients of someone that I'd done makeup for before. So I guess it all sort of led from my Instagram, but there were, were a lot of recommendations that were coming through as well, which was really helping my my business grow. Yeah. Just from strength to strength. So I do this for everyone who comes on the show, but I go all the way back to the bottom of your Instagram, <laughs> which makes me sound like such a creepo. <laughs> um, I love that. So I, I saw it all and like also because like people like you did giveaways when you hit certain numbers of followers right yeah I can kind of like track when all of that's happening like some sort of weirdo data analyst but you'd been (laughs) freelancing for like two years and in 2019 you had 10,000 followers that was in the beginning and then six months after that you doubled it to 20k Mm -hmm. so like I always say this on the show and lots of guests say the same thing, like numbers aren't everything, but obviously like we love to have them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But do you remember doing anything differently at the time with your content? Because I could see like your style, like really coming through and like really emerging. Were you trying to do something different? Were you trying harder, like pushing more consistency? Like what do you feel like really like pushed the needle for you then? It was definitely consistency. I was in my studio pretty much every day even on my days off that I didn't have paying clients coming in my door, I had models booked in and that was to create content. So I was, yeah, working some pretty crazy hours and working and doing a lot of free work. Obviously when you're doing models, you're not getting paid to, to do that makeup work, but it was really helping my business. And I guess the the biggest thing for me was, was resharing. So I had like Mecca resharing my posts. I had, some of the big makeup sharing pages like In Butte Mag, Model Malay, Glamazon, KW, I think it is. Like some of the really oh, big cute. makeup yeah. pages were sharing my my work. So that was really helping to draw in followers, I guess, from there too. And it was I was being so consistent. Like I was posting at least every second day, I think it was, maybe even every day some days. So my consistency, I was just on my top. I was on the ball. at the top of the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, baby. I'm interested and, like, I hadn't kind of pre-prepared this, but I'm just thinking of it now. And, like, obviously you're on maternity leave, so you're probably not pushing your content as hard as the moment as you might otherwise be doing. So let's just acknowledge that. But the landscape is very different now on Instagram, like just reach and engagement and all that sort of thing as it was, you know, two, three years ago. What – is there anything that you would be doing differently now if you were trying to drive that sort of growth? Like what would you be doing now if you had like an account with like not much going on and you wanted to like get more clients? Reels. Reels? Yeah. And like consistent reels as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, I'm really fortunate. I've been to one of your in-person masterclasses where you kind of like teach the tricks of the trade of like how you like make your reels and everything, which is just so, that was so valuable for me. Like hearing you say at that time, like, oh, you should get models in and be making content. I was like, oh my God, 
of course. <laughs> and then I started doing that and it made so much sense. It's just, it's, it's very like hard. I think people are finding it really hard to grow at the moment in that same kind of way. Yeah. I definitely think like I was fortunate the time that I was growing quite rapidly was a really good time that Instagram was really pushing. It was definitely like video content that was being reshared, but also a lot of photo content as well. And I was getting really good reach and saves and sends like even some of my photos now, like don't get that kind of reach anymore. And that was only from like a couple of years ago. So I think definitely pushing reels would be if, and when I do go back to doing content again, that's what I will be doing, doing personally to try and build that engagement back up and, you know, trying to reach a bigger audience because Instagram is definitely pushing reels at the moment too. So yeah, for sure. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. It's, it's reels and TikTok. I think for TikTok though, I don't know if that's like converting for people to actually make bookings or if that's just like interesting video content do you know Mm. what I mean it doesn't have the same sort of communication element as an app and so Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are migrating away from Instagram because they're over it and they're like TikTok's more fun TikTok's easier TikTok's all video but it's like it doesn't have a direct kind of communication in there where people would be looking at the hashtag looking for an artist at this point yeah I agree. And I think that's where you can really elevate both platforms. Do your reels on Instagram, but then also share them on your TikTok so that you're reaching a different audience on your TikTok. And yeah, maybe you're not going to be transferring, like you say, people aren't going to be looking up hashtags and things like that on TikTok to find a Melbourne makeup artist, but your work's still on that platform. So it still may get people coming across to your Instagram. So I would just be using those reels on both platforms. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Did you see as your following was growing that you were getting more booking requests? Like was there a correlation there? Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, we love to see it. More bookings, <laughs> better, always good. Yeah. And I also was just noticing as well, so instead of, you know, at the start of my career when I was starting freelancing, a lot of photos that people were showing me weren't necessarily of my work for the inspo, whereas when I was you know, producing a lot more content and reels, people were coming in and going, I want my makeup to look like that reel that you just posted the other day, or they would be showing me photos of my work. So I could see that it was translating into bookings because they'd obviously seen that picture on Instagram and then booked me. And then they're showing me that reference image in their appointment as well. Yeah. And I definitely feel like, because again, I went through the whole, I went through your whole feed. I could kind of see around this time, it must've been in like the end of 2018 and then kind of bleeding through 2019, like right Mm -hmm. before the pandemic happened, your style and your work was just like elevated, like every single time, like elevated, better, prettier. And the style was just (laughs) there. Like it's so, so, so beautiful, but it's like such a far cry from even I would say, and I don't want to get in trouble for this because like I never worked at Mac, but like what I would imagine like a Mac makeup application might look like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like curious, like how did you find the groove of your own style? To be honest, it probably was when I was doing so many models. Uh, That would be when I would be trying out new products and I'd be trying to challenge myself a little bit and go, okay, I want to try and do skin this way. You know, I want to do, or I want to do eyes first and then I'll do the base or yeah, I guess it was through a lot of trial and error. And I did watch a lot of makeup videos or real, I guess they weren't really reels then, but you know, stories that were being posted by Nikki makeup or Tennille Jai or Emma Chen and I would just pick up little tips and tricks I'm very like a visual person which I think as a makeup artist we all are so I'd pick up either product recommendations or little tips and tricks and I'd try them when I would be doing my models and I guess just through that trial and error I sort of evolved into yeah what I do today yeah I think it's such a good point as well the what exactly what you just said doing makeup on models or getting people to sit in your chair in a way where they're not a client, they don't need to be in and out within a certain period of time, or they're not going to their, you know, really important birthday or wedding. Like you don't want to be trialed on. You don't want people to be testing things on you when you've got something to do. So it's like, yes, yes, models and like content girls or boys are great for content, but it's also so good for giving yourself that kind of like time 
for the mm-hmm. creative expression and artistic exploration, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And at that point too, like I just started getting on a few PR lists. So I wanted to try out the products that I was being sent. So I would be taking that opportunity to try those products on models. And then if I loved them, then they would venture into my kit. So yeah, I guess it was me just finding out and coming from Mac as well, where I was so used to using Mac products. My kit now is, you know, probably 10% Mac products and the rest of it would be other brands. So through trial and error from doing models and content creation and trying things on myself, that's where I sort of grew my kit into such a large variety of you know, my most loved products and my style sort of evolved from, yeah, trial and error with different techniques and using different products and kind of finding my groove from there. Well, if that's not the best inspiration for people to just go out and play with makeup, I don't know what is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the style that you have created obviously lends itself beautifully to bridal makeup and I would say your name especially here in Melbourne, but I would say probably Australia-wide is synonymous with bridal makeup artistry. So like I myself have even saved so many of your reels to try and like pick up some of the products. Like I said, like I've been to the masterclasses and I've like literally touched your kit. I'm like, okay, I need like all of these things. (laughs) And I just knew that the podcast community would feel the same way and they were going to be so excited to hear from you so I actually asked them if they had any questions. I didn't tell them who it was because at this point I'm like I'm still trying to like keep it like a surprise okay. when the episode Love drops. That. But I said, if there's, you know, a master of bridal, it's you. So what do you want to know? So I've got a couple of questions from some listeners, which is very fun because I've never done this before. <laughs> so are you ready? Are you ready to hear some of these ones? Yeah. All right. So Olivia from the Gold Coast asks, how do I gain bridal clients or break into that side of the industry for the first time? Oh, that's a hard question. I think... For me, I did my first bridal client while I was still working at Mac. So this was like pre-freelance times. And I was so nervous to even do this bridal client. I'd never done, you know, specific bridal artistry before, but she found me on Instagram. She liked the work that I was doing then, which I would hate to even think what that looks like now because it would be so different to what I actually would do now. But yeah, she she trusted me and I was like, you know what, if I'm if I want to break into this bridal industry in Melbourne, then I just need to say yes to it. So I I think my biggest thing would be is not turning down opportunity. Like when you're starting out, say yes to all of the jobs that you can. So if you have friends that are getting married, you know, you could reach out to them and offer your services or I don't really even know how to answer this question properly. Yeah, you know, it's tricky. Like I I read it and I was like, oh, it's so hard because I ever remember the first wedding that I ever did. It was like, I think it was a friend of a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. And then it had been somebody had recommended me and then it had kind of just like gone through that way. I think I even did the trial for free because I was like, oh, my God, it's my first wedding. I was like terrified. Mm -hmm. And then one of those bridesmaids got married and then she wanted do you know what I mean it kind of just like snowballs from there I've even heard yeah it's like I've heard Danessa Myricks talk about the first makeup job she ever did was a bridal party and it freaked her out and like she Mm. still does makeup for that like family or that group of people today like Mm -hmm. I think you're so right you just have to say yes to the opportunity or even like put yourself out there if it's further travel than you would like or if it's not as much money or whatever it's like sometimes you just gotta eat shit to like get the ball rolling you know yeah and I think that's what I did like I can't entirely remember if I even did a trial but if I did I probably charged you know next to nothing for the trial I think even like the actual job itself I remember it being done in Sorrento I don't think I would have charged like a travel fee like I really just wanted to to do this job to break into the industry so you know like it still has to be worth your while but if that's the industry that you want to break into I would just be saying yes to that opportunity And it will domino from there. So, you know, once I started to do a few more bridal parties and I'd be posting them on my Instagram, people were like, oh, she does bridal makeup. And then, like you say, you know, one of the bridesmaids would then be getting married or there's bound to be someone at that wedding that you've done makeup for that's engaged, that's then looking for their vendors. So it kind of is a domino effect from there. And that, yeah, that's really how I I grew my bridal clientele was through 
word of mouth and recommendation and yeah people seeing my work because they'd been at a wedding that I'd done the makeup for yeah I love it. Totally agree. The next one is from Casey in the Mornington Peninsula and she asks, how do you set boundaries with brides who would push back on your pricing? Stand your ground, girl. (laughs) Know your worth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I turn down a lot of work. You know, once I send through my price list, I either I might may not hear back from them, or some people will come back and say, Hey, can you offer me a discount for, you know, if I pay cash or if I have X amount of people, can you do it for a cheaper price? And I just come back and say, unfortunately, I don't offer discounts. These are my prices based on my experience and knowledge. And yeah, if you want to book me, then book me. If you don't, then that's fine too. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I completely agree. It's like, if they're going to say no to that, that's fine. They'll go find someone else. If it's on the basis of price, they'll find someone else who's cheaper and Mm -hmm. you'll probably get another opportunity with someone who's happy to pay whatever it is you're charging and then some. I just think if people are going to push back on really simple things like that or ask you not to charge travel or discount for lots and lots of people, it's like, no, you got to pay the same. It's still a person's face. Like, come on. And you know what? That kind of booking is going to be the type of booking that will give you anxiety and like give you grief as well. Like, because they've tried to, you know, push you down on your pedestal a little bit. And yeah, I guess they don't see your worth so much. They're going to be the ones that give you more of a hard time. It's always the way. So true. You'd rather get a booking that knows your worth and they're happy to pay for your pricing and they're going to be so much more of a delight to work with on the day. So true. And I feel like this even goes for people who, this is going to sound terrible, but there are sometimes people I feel like they send you an email and it's a booking request and they're just so rude in their email to you, like just like Mm -hmm. not a vibe. It's like I'll email them back and just completely lie and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm already booked on that day. I can't deal with it. It's like sometimes you just know. Yeah. Sometimes you just know. So if you feel like you should say no because the job's going to give you grief, just say no. It's okay. 100%. They they don't have access to your calendar. They don't know if you're lying. (laughs) Yeah, and you're going to feel that that booking with, yeah, someone that actually knows your worth and wants to book you. True, true. Now, this one, I'm going to struggle pronouncing your name, and I know you listen to the show every week. I'm so sorry. I think it's Shy. Shay? Shy. From Lang Lang asks, how long do you allow per person and what order do you usually do? I'm really interested to hear this. I allow 45 minutes to one hour per person, normally an hour for the bride, 45 minutes for bridesmaids and like mother of the bride or extras. And the order that I do makeup in, like does she mean? As in like like, would you do like the bride last? Would you do the bride? I think I heard Mia Connor say once that she always does the bride second to last Mm -hmm. because then like – you know, when they're getting dressed and all that sort of stuff, it can get too chaotic if you do them last. So then I started doing it that way. Is that how you do it or yeah? That's exactly how I do it. So I don't really mind who goes first, second, third, whatever. I always do bride second to last exactly for that same reason that you've just said with me, Connor, because if you've run overtime and maybe it's not even your fault, like the hairstylist might be running overtime. The photographers always arrive early as well. So I just like I know what's to- with that. <laughs> what is with that? Stop doing it. It's so annoying. So I would rather not have the bride sitting in my chair feeling stressed because the photographers got there and they don't have a time to breathe and, you know, sort of compose themselves before yeah, getting into their photos and getting into their dress and all that sort of stuff. So true. And everyone always, and it's just inevitable, everyone always be asking the bride so many questions and they might be nice like, oh, where should we put this or where do you have this? Let me go get it for you or you should be eating something or you should be doing this. And to have, like if you just put yourself in her shoes, if she's sitting there last, not a chance. Like I'd get too stressed out. Can't deal with it. Definitely that's the way to go. Charmaine from Sorrento asks, this is interesting. What should or shouldn't you say to a bride who is getting stressed out while you're doing her wedding makeup? This has happened to me a few times. I feel like I've got quite a calm personality. So even if I'm stressed on the outside, no, I'm oh, sorry, on the inside. Stressed on the inside? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm stressed on the inside, I don't look it on the outside. So I try not to portray that I'm getting stressed whether that's like a time thing or if I'm sort of getting energy from the bride that they may be feeling a little bit stressed I just say to them hey do you want to take five minutes and you know 
go get some fresh air or have a glass of water or have something to eat and come back we can you know sit back in the chair and we can finish doing your makeup and I just also try and not to tear them away from their wedding day but I try and just talk to them about everyday things like kind of not get them talking about what time's your ceremony and like thinking about the wedding so much I just talk to them about okay where are you going on your honeymoon or like how's work been leading up to the day and if they've got kids like talking about their kids and just trying to distract them a little bit from if they're feeling a bit stressed about the wedding because it's only natural to start feeling stressed especially the closer it gets to the photographer getting there and the ceremony times fast approaching it's not going to be something that you're doing that's stressing them out it's just them I guess internalizing what's about to happen for that afternoon it's so true I always like when they sit in my chair I always like check in with them like the minute they sit down I'm like all right let's be honest I'm not part of your bridal party. You can tell me the truth. Like, how are you feeling? And they'll either be like, I'm great. Or they'll be like, not so good. And then it's almost like, have you seen those things on the internet where it's like, you can choose to have like a silent appointment, like a chat-free appointment. Like some people to be able to just sit there. That's the only time they're going to get a minute to themselves, like on the whole day. So I think, yeah, like what should or shouldn't you say is like, it's a read the room. Yeah. You need to read the room and see what's going on. But I think always checking in with them. And yeah, like you said, not focusing too much on the well, what time are you cutting the cake who's giving the speech is there going to be any family drama like let's exactly. not feed into that exactly let's, just, let's do yeah. normal life yeah, and there's exactly. even been times as well like I've, I remember doing a bridal party not so long ago and the music choice that one of the bridesmaids had chosen was stressing the bride out because it was such heavy music it wasn't relaxing at all and I was actually doing the job with one of my friends Clara And both of us were sort of getting stressed out. Like the type of music that was being played was what you would hear in a, in a nightclub. Oh my God. And it was like like deep house. Yeah. Or was it like, cause I've been to one before where it was like really like proper, like deep, like Drake and like Kendrick Lamar. And it was just like swearing, screaming, like kind of a vibe, but maybe not on a wedding day. Yeah. And like not at (laughs) 7am in the morning. And I could just tell that the bride was it was kind of stressing her out. So I actually ended up saying to the bridesmaid, Hey, do we, can you maybe change the music to something a little bit more relaxing? Cause I knew that the bride probably wouldn't feel comfortable saying that. And I would, I don't care. I just said, exactly. you know, I think we should change it because I could tell that her vibe was, she wasn't vibing the music and it was stressing her out because it was so full on for 7am in the morning on your wedding day. <laughs> Okay, look, all I'm going to say is this. If I ever get married, I don't want the vibe to be like I've just left Revolver. I want the vibe yeah. to be like I'm I'm inside a Nancy Myers movie and everything is okay. Like that's yeah. going to be the vibe. Yeah. Exactly, 100%. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God, that's so funny. And the last question is from Montana in Torquay who asks, what is the best way to utilize your off-peak season to reach more brides for the upcoming season? Which I also find an interesting question because – you're going to get your bookings in the off peak. Does that make sense? Like people mm-hmm. are going to book you in April for something in November. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. I guess how do you utilize your social media all year round to make sure you're kind of cornering that market? I guess I'd be particular about what I'd be posting on my social media. So if brides were what you really wanted to target, then I would be making sure that my social media was bridal-related makeup looks, which I tend to – you know, every now and then I'll do like an updated bridal look on a reel or like a makeup post because, yeah, I am trying to target brides all year round. And and if I sort of, as much as I love doing something that's a little bit different or introducing color or whatever, I just know that, you know, like a bride's not going to book me for a blue smoky eye. So if I want to target brides, I need to be producing content that a bride is going to look at and go oh yeah that's the kind of makeup look that I want for my wedding day yeah I couldn't agree more so I guess being yeah a bit more particular about what I'm posting that's such a great idea though to maybe every so often maybe every couple of months or something post a real like get a model in or get someone to sit in your chair and post this is my updated bridal look or I think I've seen someone before do this is the kind of makeup I do for these different styles of brides so if it was Mm. like a kind of like more Hollywood glamour bride compared to more of like a beachy vibe and then you can change up the hair a little bit I guess yeah like you say just getting a bit creative with how you can post bridal looks 
all year round and kind yeah. of pepper that through. And I guess the other thing as well is I'd be reaching out to hairstylists and doing bridal looks together. So, you know, the hair can make such a difference to the overall makeup look. So, again, what you were sort of saying with makeup looks that could be, I guess, shown differently. So you could do like a beachy bridal look or, you know, like a boho kind of vibe or this is a bit more glam. And you could collaborate with a hairstylist and change the hair and makeup to suit those kind of looks too. So you're reaching a larger audience with your bridal looks too and you're not just focusing on you know this is my one and only look that I do and then with the new feature on Instagram as well at the moment you can post content like in collaboration Mm. with someone so it goes on both of the feeds at the same time and you would be doubling down on sharing that audience so that's such a great idea especially for how things are working now yeah 100% that's like the one new feature that Instagram has rolled out recently that they haven't stolen from TikTok that's actually worthwhile. So like, good for you, Mark Zuckerberg, you finally got one. <laughs> yeah, and like touching on that too. So I reached out with reached out to Hair by Brittany, who I did a lot of brides with before she went on maternity leave. And so we would collaborate together because we were getting booked for a lot of jobs together anyway we thought let's collaborate together and show different styles of hair and makeup that married together really nicely. And that actually increased our bookings that we got together as well. So if there's a hairstylist that you really like working with and you've got kind of a similar style, like hair by Brittany, her style of hair that she does is really soft. So it suits a lot of brides that I do because the makeup that I do is more soft. So yeah, pick a hairstylist that you like their style and you like to work with and collaborate with them and create some looks together. That's such a great idea. Not me like reaching for my phone and being like, all right, <laughs> I got to make some phone calls, boys. I got to go. No, that's awesome. That's such good advice. I hope that I, you know what? I don't hope. I know that that's really going to help everyone. I hope Looking so. towards the future. It definitely will. <laughs> Looking towards the future now for you specifically, you just had Parker in April. He is, by the way, I just have to tell you guys, so incredibly cute. I could see him in this video chat, which you guys aren't going to see because we decided we were going to go troll mode, but he's just such a sweetheart. And so I'm just wondering for you, obviously you built up your business to a really great place, you know, to you know have maternity leave and feel really comfortable there. And that's the dream, I think, for makeup artists, because as we know from the last few years, like stability is a weird place for freelancers. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, has having Parker changed how you picture yourself working in the future? Like, do you think you're going to work differently? Like, yeah, what's the I team? do. Yeah, I do. I didn't think I would feel this way. And then obviously once having Parker, I just, my priorities have changed. I don't want to work those long hours that I was doing pre-COVID. You know, like I was doing some pretty crazy hours. I was working from like 7 a.m., till 7 p.m. at night I wasn't really giving myself days off and now since having Parker like I obviously want to prioritize my time with him and with my family so yeah I won't be working as much as what I was I have just increased my prices and I'm being a little bit more picky with the work that I am taking on and I'm saying no to a lot of jobs like if I've got you know two weddings booked in one week I'm trying not to take on a third which is really hard for me. I'm not used to saying no to so many things, but at the same time, yeah, my priorities have changed a lot. And yeah, he's more of my priority now along with my business. I don't want that to, you know, be put to the side, but yeah, I just am being a little bit more picky with the type of work that I'm taking on. Yeah, totally. And actually just on the point of raising your prices, which I think I encourage everyone to do at least every six months or so to look into that, especially with what the world is like right now, like really have a think about whether or not you're charging enough. But something I noticed when I was on your website this weekend, just like putting together like some research points is that on your FAQs, I think you've got your full like pricing list. I don't know if it's up to date based on what you just told me, but that might it be is, a sneaky. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. that's good. That was just like a life admin check for you. <laughs> but what I like about that so much is like having your prices on your website, I feel people are in two minds about it. They're like, I don't want to have it on. I'm going to give it to them when they book or I'm going to have it on. And at least that way you're like gate, you're not like gatekeeping it. And if they look at it and they're like, that's too expensive, they're just not going to email you and waste exactly. your time. Yeah. And I just wanted to yeah point that out because I really respected the amount of information you give to people up front. So when they're looking 
and looking to make a booking with you, they're like, if this is not going to work, I'm going to know before I send the email. Yeah, and I find that that actually helps to filter out those people that, yeah, either it's not going to be in their budget or, you know, yeah, they can't afford to pay my prices. And I fully respect that I'm not going to be in everyone's budget and makeup is not going to be a priority for every bride as well. You know, they might prioritize their flowers or their photographer or videographer, which for me, like, you know, photos and videos are just as important as your makeup as well. But not everyone is into, you know, makeup as much and they might be happy to choose someone that's, you know, a lower price point and they're still going to be just as happy. So I kind of feel like having my pricing and my information on there, it helps to filter out, you know, either people that it's not in their budget or they don't have the minimum amount of people to make it worthwhile for me as well. Like I've got my minimum spend or my minimum numbers on my website as well. So it helps me with my admin in, in a sense too. Yeah, I think I think it's really great. Just a question on that because you've just said minimum spend and minimum people. Mm-hmm. If somebody didn't have, say, for example, you won't travel for less than, I don't know what the number is, five or six. Mm-hmm. Say you won't travel for less than six people Yeah, or go to a group. If they were like one bride, if it was just one bride and I'm getting, I'm eloping or something and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, want the whole thing, would you do it for her if she paid six people's worth? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Because <laughs> yeah. it makes sense. It's like some people do have all that money in the world. It's just like, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like to the people listening, because they're so interested in how to build this kind of, it's a, it's a business. Mm. And it's like, if they're willing to pay the money, don't box yourself in by saying, I only travel for six. It's like, I'll travel for one if you pay my six person call out. Exactly. And that's kind of why I changed my wording on my website to minimum spend. Like, I think I'm pretty sure it says on there minimum spend or this X amount of services. Mm. So I do have some brides that are booked in, you know, on a Saturday where my minimum services or my minimum spend is six applications and they've only got five people, but they're paying me for the six. So yeah. That's what you got to do. I just think it's really smart and I don't think it's like um, an accident that you've obviously got this business savvy way of setting up all of this stuff as well as being as it, as talented as you are. I think when people are wanting to build up this bridal artistry type of business, you've got to have both. Like you've got to mm. really think about it. Mm. You can't just kind of do it ad hoc. It's like work out your structure, work out your prices, maybe take a leaf out of Danny's book and put this information on your website so it's available to people and you are going to minimize the time that you are spending on emails with people who aren't qualified to book you in. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So good. So into it. And so if you're kind of thinking that you are going to work a little bit differently and what I'm kind of hearing is a work smarter, not harder vibe, Mm -hmm. which I love, Mm -hmm. is that going to include more education in the future from you? Yes, for sure. So education will be something that I will be prioritizing. I would love to not only teach makeup artists, but the everyday woman as well. So, you know, a lot of my brides that I'm seeing, they aren't confident in doing makeup on themselves or you know mother of the bride or the bridesmaids they're not big makeup people but they want to learn how to just do an everyday makeup look so my master classes that I'll be doing will be catered to both makeup artists and the everyday girl as well or boy in that matter amen will they be like separate classes so yes. one's kind of for an artist yeah because yeah. that would be a little bit tricky to try and teach it all but it's so yeah. funny I feel like to the clients that you meet who don't really have that makeup mindset or they don't really care in their everyday life it's like there are a couple of things that you can offer them that just change their life like even product recommendations so that'd just be so powerful you know mm, yeah I'm excited to delve more into the education side of things. I am too. And by the way, for anyone listening, in case you didn't know, Danny teaches two, is it two of your signature looks online? Yeah. And hopefully I'll be adding more online too. So I'll have yeah. online classes that are available for people that are interstate or overseas, which I do have quite a few people, which I'm so fortunate that purchase my master classes that are interstate or overseas. So I'll be updating those and then also in Melbourne having some in-person masterclasses too. I cannot recommend this enough, especially if you're a makeup artist and you're wanting to up your skills. I cannot recommend going to this masterclass enough. I will be there anyway if you just want to hang Yay. out with me. So that's good. <laughs> but I think I've taken up just about enough of your time. And again, I'm just so truly grateful that you wanted to chat with me even when oh, Parker is so much more important than me this big old <laughs> bing bong um, but the last question I just love to ask you is what advice like what 
what is one piece of advice that you would give to an aspiring artist who is at the beginning of their journey? Like say you meet like a 16 year old and she's like, I'm going to be a makeup artist. Like what would you tell her? Just believe in yourself. Like little old me that was in year nine that got pushed back by my teacher. Like I did not let that stop me. You know, if I had let it stop me, I wouldn't be doing makeup today. I knew that I wanted to be a makeup artist. And if you've got the passion and the drive, your skills will improve over time. Like I'm not the makeup artist that I was when I first started my freelancing or even, you know, when I started working at Mac, my artistry has developed and changed so much. So just believe in yourself and yeah, you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. So, so good. And just in case people aren't following you, which I highly doubt based on the reactions to the stories (laughs) I put up, letting people know I was doing this interview, where can they find you? So on Instagram at makeupby.danny, (laughs) D-A-N-I. Very good. And in Danny's bio on that account, you can find the access to the online masterclasses. And obviously yeah. Danny will update that with the real life masterclasses when they happen in Melbourne. But yeah, again, sure. thank you so, so, so much. I just know people are going to love this episode. You're such an angel. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've loved doing this chat with you. Of course. It's a podcast revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Cousins, everybody, what an absolute star. I said it during the interview, but I think it is no surprise and it is certainly no accident that she is as successful as she is. She is so talented. Her work is out of the park, but you can also tell she is a savvy business person. And that's what I want you to take from this episode. Yes, your artistry is a creative pursuit. Yes, it is art, but your artistry is a business. And when it comes to bridal, where you are asked so much of yourself, including early start times that would make no sense for you to be awake at that time of day, where you are asked to work Sundays and on weekends and you aren't allowed to see your family because you got to be in bed, where you got to be traveling four hours there and back to make sure that you can be there for that bridal party. You need to make sure that your business is functioning so that you're not only making money, but you're making profit. So here are my top two takeaways from my interview with Danny. Number one, you won't get far unless you believe in yourself. We heard Danny's teacher in high school low-key crushed her dreams, right? She pushed on. She went to Mac in London, her absolute dream job, and they knocked her back on her first try in 2015. She got up and she tried again. If she had let those disappointments get to her, maybe I wouldn't have even been having that conversation with her today. Danny was resilient. She was practical, aka she put people's feedback into action so that she could improve. And most importantly, No matter what, no matter what bullshit was said to her, she believed in herself and her dream and look at her now. Number two, it is okay to say no to jobs. Now we have absolutely heard this lesson on the show before, but it is one of my biggest golden rules. If people are asking you for discounts, if they aren't respecting your time, if they aren't respecting your need to charge for travel or having a minimum call out or a minimum number of people, or if the vibes are just not there and the way that they're speaking to you just ain't it, dump their ass. (laughs) I know that's silly. I hear that expression on TikTok and it makes me laugh. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but what I mean is this, just politely say no. Like I said in the episode, it is so easy to respectfully tell a prospective client whose vibes aren't there or maybe they're just not respecting you in another way. Just tell them, I'm so sorry, I'm actually unavailable on that date and just move on with your life. Rather than saying yes, putting that thing in your diary, dreading it for however many months it is coming up and then potentially setting yourself up to wake up on the morning of that appointment and just be riddled with stress and anxiety because you knew that you never wanted to do it in the first place. Working is great, money is addictive, but your sanity and mental health trumps all when booking in makeup jobs. 
Well, that's it from me, y'all, and I mean it this time. (laughs) I will be back in your ears in a fortnight with another juicy interview, but in the meantime, please come follow me on all of the social media uh, so that you can see what goes on behind the scenes in my life as an artist and the brand St. Jack. You can follow the brand St. Jack at by St. Jack on Instagram. That's at by St. Jack. By the way, this is so funny little side note story for you. There's some random man in the States who has the handle at St. Jack, right? And I have been DMing him for like years to be like, oi, like, can I get that handle? Cause like, I'll buy it from you, whatever. Cause I obviously want my business to have it. And he just never answers me. And this weekend I got up to my wits end because somebody in my family was like, yeah, I was showing your business to um, a friend of mine. And she's like, yeah, buy St. Jack's amazing. I'm like, it's just St. Jack. I know that the handle is confusing, but like, oh my God. And so I even got so deep in this that I ended up going on to his profile. The last like photo he posted was four years ago. I went onto his comments. I commented on it and said, hey, can you check your DMs? And then I went to see who had liked that last photo from four years ago. And then then I DMed all of them who were active on Instagram more recently. So, hey, look, maybe the handle will soon be at St. Jack if I can get onto this guy and give him God knows how much money he'll want for the handle. But in the meantime, you can also easily find me on TikTok. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just went so rogue. My TikTok handle is at St. Jack Cosmetics. Of course, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram as an artist as well. And my handle for both is at Beth Wilson underscore MUA. God, I love you guys. You keep me young. You make me happy. Until next time. Bye.